Hello friends, we are bringing Cedarville University to cities all across the country in our first ever nationwide tour. As part of the Transform Tour, you'll experience dynamic worship, be challenged from God's Word, and hear how God is blessing and transforming lives at Cedarville. Visit cedarville.edu forward slash transform tour to discover if we'll be near you. We can't wait to see you there. Today's guest is Joel Wayne. He is the lead pastor of Chapel Point. His church will be hosting the Grand Rapids location for the Transform Tour. Enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Sarah. And hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. With the Transform Tour set to embark from campus on a 26-day tour of the United States in just a couple of weeks, I thought today was a perfect time to have one of the hosting pastors on the program. Joel Wayne is the pastor of Chapel Point Church in suburban Grand Rapids, Michigan. And if you're just now hearing about Cedarville's Transform Tour, this tour will travel 10,000 miles over 26 days to share the transforming power of the gospel in a city near you. And the first stop on this tour is Chapel Point Church in Grand Rapids. We will talk about the tour on the program, but I also want to talk about Joel's vision for ministry, which some view as unique. Joel is a graduate of the University of Georgia, and he earned a Master of Divinity degree from Mercer University. Joel's pathway to church ministry actually began when he was selling Nabisco products as a student at Georgia, and I'm looking forward to hearing his story today on the program. But for now, let me welcome Joel Wayne to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to have you on the program, Joel. Welcome. Well, I certainly appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. Well, I have too for a while, and and uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know you through the internet and talking to people here on campus. Don't worry, there's no bad stories. As I, as um, you heard in the introduction, there are several topics uh, that I want to discuss with Joel today on the program, including the Transform Tour, his church ministry, and how his work with Nabisco actually started his ministry. So, Joel, in learning as much as I could about you prior to today's program, I found your life to be actually really fascinating. You seem to be a mover and shaker in some ways. And uh, I'm wondering, is that a fair assessment? Um, well, I would say I, I'm going to word it a little differently. Um, mm -hmm. Being a mover and a shaker certainly implies a lot of different things. I'll tell you this. I'm in my third lead pastorate. Yep. And uh, often I have been classified as a change agent. Yeah. Um, I have learned, though, that I'm not necessarily as much of a change agent as I am a growth agent. And those mm -hmm. are different things. Um, I thought I had to be in unhealthy churches before in order to change them. And now I am in a very healthy ministry. And when I understood that I was actually just a growth agent, then all of a sudden I could relax and enjoy being in a healthy situation. Um, before I couldn't do it, I was like, oh, no, now I've got to go somewhere else. Um, yeah. And now I, I don't feel like I need to. So, but yes, a mover and shaker, growth agent, something like that. That has to that has to be um, somewhat freeing for you and your family to know that you're, you're at where God wants you, and there's always work for you to do that he puts in front of you. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm in the middle of West Michigan. Um, you know, nobody goes, man, West Michigan, that's just like the most exciting place ever. However, what I would tell you is God is doing something in a ministry there um, that is allowing us to step into places all over the world. 
Um, and we are seeing dozens. I baptized this last weekend. I baptized 58. Um, really? I think we have 30 more to baptize in a few weeks, at least. Um, God is doing a movement that is remarkable in West Michigan right now. It's fascinating to be a part of. So yeah, I don't have that pressure to leave. I, I yeah. get to enjoy it. They want me there. Yeah. I want to be there. Yeah. I'm blessed to be able to serve with the people that I serve with. It, it's exciting. That, that being, being a person from West Michigan, just about an hour and a half south of you, it's exciting to hear what's happening in my home state and in my region. So yes. uh, I encourage you to keep moving forward. So um, where did this passion to minister or how did that get developed even before you realized you wanted to go to seminary and get a ministry degree? You know, my father was a pastor um, and, and he grew up in churches in the South in which I probably, I, I probably pushed against what he experienced in right. ministry, you know, right. county seat church, um, all the constitutional and bylaw stuff. And I just want people's hearts to be captivated by the Lord, even though I know the need of organization. Um, but I want movement to rule the day, um, not organizational structure. And so I probably pushed away from the churches that I uh, grew up being a part of for quite a bit. And then I finally recognized that I have nothing to complain about at all unless I'm willing to help change it. Yeah. Um, and so God just said, listen, I know churches aren't perfect. Get over it. They're made up of sinful people. So get over it, help right. change it or just stop speaking about it. And I knew that what Christ has done for me, I know my brokenness. And I was like, ah, let's go. Let's, let's see what can happen. How long have you been in the ministry, in the church ministry? Almost 30 years. So I started very, I was out of college at 20. And um, so I've been doing this for literally, I, I think my first ministry was 28, 29 years, 28 years ago. I'm okay. 48 now. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, from our conversation, it's obvious that you have a heart for leadership and being part of God's work. Actually, it's been for or toward failing churches, not so much anymore. Uh, in fact, your first church in Greenwich, Connecticut was about to close its doors when you answered the call to become its lead pastor. Yes. Were there life experiences prior to accepting this position that prepared you for revitalizing and developing healthy churches? Yeah, you know, before going to that church, I was an associate pastor slash youth guy. You know, when you're in a smaller yeah. church, you do associate everything. pastor means everything. Everything. Um, and uh, it wasn't a, a really small church, but church of probably seven, eight hundred. And I was associate pastor, youth pastor. I stepped away. They started going in a theological, doctrinal direction that I did not agree with. If you're not the lead pastor and, and you disagree, I believe you should just step away Correct. Um, and not make too much of a fuss. And so that's what I ended up doing. But in the midst of stepping away, I did real estate for a year. But God, I, I call it my desert season. One of yeah. my desert seasons. Yeah. And in the midst of doing all that, um, I knew God, God showed me so clearly um, by walking through the book of Exodus over and over and over again. Yeah that God was calling me to spiritual leadership, not simply to be a, a chaplain. Mm. Now we need chaplains, but I believe that the majority of churches are hiring chaplains and not necessarily hiring spiritual leaders. And we need spiritual leadership. And he started to cultivate that in me. Um, so by being able to step away and very clearly seeing in scripture, what spiritual leadership looked like, you know, you look at the book of Exodus, Moses wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't liked by a lot of those people. No, um, 
but he was trying to be obedient to God. And he called them to a lot of hard things. And that was the biggest preparation for me. And then going to Greenwich because they called me up. They said, hey, we heard you preach before we liked it. And then ironically, my business degree, they said, we heard, you know, what a hedge fund is. Um, and so that's, in, you know, intriguing to us. We like your preaching. You love the Lord. And you know what our basically our industry is in the area. Um, a lot of hedge funds, a lot of financial firms in Greenwich. So God used all of that to prepare me to go step into spiritual leadership. That's, that's a fabulous story. What were some of the major hurdles that you saw when you arrived at your church in Greenwich? And even though you said you were unprepared for the role, how did the Lord lead you through that process? Yeah, I tell you. So one of the biggest uh, hurdles of my first ministry was simply the fact that it was a very transient area. So you have people who grew up in that Greenwich, Connecticut area, right above New York City, um, but the majority move in and out a lot. So two of the, the committee members have moved away between me saying yes to coming and me arriving, oh, yeah. um, including one of the families that had the only children in the church. So oh, my wow. six, seven month old was the only one under third grade. The other thing I, rep uh, I recognized very quickly was the church didn't share the same thought process as the committee that called me. Um, you know, the committee was like, okay, we know we need a leader. We know we need to change. The church was like, no, give us a chaplain. This is going to care for us. And so very quickly, I had to establish this is who God's called us to be. This is biblical. And I knew that it was going to create some ripples down this down, down a little ways. And it did, but that's okay. Um, but so I, I stepped into a situation and I would tell everybody if they're interviewing for any type of church situation, evaluate if the church, especially in a smaller church, does, does the church support what the leadership is trying to accomplish? Right. So obviously, well, first of all, how long were you at that church? Seven years. Seven years. And um, the Lord through you allowed it to be better when you left than it was when you arrived. And the church in Connecticut, yeah. though, but the church in Connecticut isn't the only church that needed some leadership that you could provide. The subsequent churches that you have served, uh, one being in Beaver Dam, Kentucky, yes. and, the, and then your current church in Grand Rapids needed help as well with its culture. You've said it was essential to build unity among the people. It sounded like that's what you had to do back in Greenwich as well. Yes. How, yes. how did you go about unifying these churches so they could thrive in ministry and the people could grow spiritually. You know, one of the things um, that I found the need to do always is to simplify the vision as best you can. What's the call that God has for that church? And that's, the, that's so cool about God. God will use every church however he wants to use it, if that's his desire. Correct. Um, and, and in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. But I would look at the church and the church leadership, and we would pray, pray, pray. I would ask him very simple questions. Um, narrow it down to two or three things that you know God has called us to be about. And then I want you to tie it to the Word of God. You have to connect it to the Word of God. Go pray about it for two weeks. We would come back and talk about it with leadership. We would do that over and over, several times around. And um, through doing that, we gained clarity. And then we also learned the difference between a biblical call and, a, and then a human preference. Because the majority of people in leadership, especially in churches, we often make decisions based on maybe not our preference, but the preference of someone else because we don't want to handle the conflict. Right. And so then all of a sudden preference or tradition is guiding 
a ministry that is supposed to be about a movement of God rather than the biblical mandate to reach lost people or a biblical mandate for discipleship or the desire for the Holy Spirit to be palpable within your ministry. So by doing that, we, we ripped away the preferences. I, would, I tell people all the time, even today, I really don't care about your preference. I care about what God has spoken to you about. The primary way he speaks today is through prayer in the Bible. Correct. Knowing that, show it to me there, I'm all about it. But if it's not, I'm going to ask that you sacrifice your preference in order for a biblical call. So that yeah. was that's a big thing. Now, how you do it is going to be dictated by your personality and right. by the leaders that you have around you. Boy, hearing you speak is refreshing. I think we need more um, leaders in ministry who won't compromise the truth of Scripture yeah. over personal preferences, as you outlined. So um, I'm just curious. I, I wasn't planning to ask this question to you, but what are some of the similarities of the churches that you've been at from the from beginning to and or current, as it so to speak, with you in Grand Rapids? Yeah. How how are they similar or different? Yeah. So here's the irony. Uh, my first lead pastor, wealthiest zip code in America. My second lead pastor, one of the poorest counties in America, in Kentucky. Oh. Um, and now I'm in middle slash upper middle class school, USA. All right. So I've been in all of those environments. And what you find is that they're all the same. Um, now, what I mean by the fact that they're all the same, you have a lot of people um, who, who love the Lord, but who are scared and have been taught that their traditions and their daily practices of faith, of going to church and doing it in a particular way is what has actually brought them comfort rather than truly knowing and experiencing Jesus Christ that brings them comfort. Yeah. yeah. And so you have to help them make that shift, that dynamic of going, wait a second here. Um, let's, let's talk about where we really find peace and comfort and joy and fulfillment, right? Yeah. All of these different things, because if we're, we, every single place they have found it previously in keeping a routine rather than being captivated by Christ himself. Well, that is why a revival of our hearts is so critical. Not yes. just revival to save the lost, but a revival to stir the hearts of believers today. I think it's so much missing in our in our churches yes. today. Yeah, I would say the majority of people in the churches, they find comfort and peace and joy and all these things based on what they do. Well, if I can do this, 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 and this and get this organized, I'm good. They don't They don't find it based on who they know. Right. We know the right things to say. We don't know the what the proper way to live. I want to take a break from my conversation on the podcast so I can tell you about Cedarville University's Transform Tour that is coming to a city near you. The Transform Tour would travel 10,000 miles over 26 days to achieve one goal, that being to proclaim the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're scheduled to be in 13 cities, including Grand Rapids, Michigan, Chicago, Denver, Houston, Tampa, and Washington, D.C., to name a few. To learn more about the Transform Tour, visit cedarville.edu slash transformtour. The event is free, but registration is required, so reserve your place today by visiting cedarville.edu slash transformtour. We are looking forward to seeing you during the Transform Tour. Now here's the rest of today's Cedarville Stories podcast.
Joel, throughout your church ministry, a clear part of it has been to bring unity and a new culture to your congregations. We've talked yes. about that just a little bit ago. As a result, you founded Be the Church. Yes. Which which exists to develop healthy leaders who strengthen and start churches to av- advance the gospel. How do you go about developing leaders and is this primarily a Michigan initiative or are you doing this nationwide? So be the church. I was already pouring into churches um, and trying to help them, you know, growth agent type thing. Um, and I love doing it. I've always enjoyed it. I have a business on the side as well uh, with my wife in which we do leadership development. We do um, branding websites, all that kind of stuff. And we have other people who work with us. So I've just always enjoyed the leadership component. I love bringing it to the church. However, I think very few churches are prepared for growth. Very few. We know the percentages. We've spoken about the percentages of churches, right, that are dying and that are hurting. But I remember it was January of 2019. I had to fly back up to New York um, for a couple of meetings. And so I fly up into New York City. I go and I'm going to meet the executive director for the Metro New York Baptist Association. So you got like 370 churches in New York City, all a part of this association together. Um, and I'm walking down the street to meet him. And I'm, I just start weeping. Mm. I, Mark, I'm, I'm, cr- I'm weeping. And God very clearly spoke to me in that moment. He says, they're all broken and they're all hurting. And you're not doing that much to help. And I knew in that moment um, that I was going to come back and start something. Um, well, six weeks later, I'm talking about all of these different things that God has laid on my heart with all my people. And then COVID happens. So then the day after everything shut down, I called the majority of my staff together and I said, guys, we need to start this to where we're, we're helping local churches and pastors. And so in that moment, we started be the church. Okay. So when COVID, when COVID hit, I invite churches to evaluate what did they do the first three months? Because the majority of them shut down like the rest of the world. Right. So we say we know it's the darkest of days. We have the light of the world, but we, we, shut, we shut down just like everybody else. Right. So, you know, our church, what we did is we activated. We spent tens of thousands of dollars on local schools, helping them with computers and technology. Mm-hmm. And then we had a studio that we gave all, to all the local churches. We pushed out all of their Facebook pages, helping local churches. And we started pouring in more than ever before. So we started, we just took that. And now we continually do the same thing for churches. We step in, we have churches who bring their staff to us and we I'll meet with them for a day. And I ask them a lot of really hard questions about where they're going, who they are, about their vision, about the strategy to actually accomplish the very thing that they say they're called to do. And one of the primary ways we get to do it is through cohorts throughout the state of Michigan. We have leadership cohorts. We also have some now starting in Canada. We've been asked to um, step alongside and lead a new movement for the New England states, Mm -hmm. all but New York. So we're stepping heavy into Connecticut and also the other ones with Vermont, New Hampshire, with all the Baptist churches and developing leadership cohorts. We have curriculum we use and those pastors meet together with five to seven other pastors once a month. And then twice a year, they bring their lay leadership in with them. And they're forced to evaluate who their church is, what their church is doing, what their strategy is, what determines their next step. And we try to give them the courage to to make the change they need to make. 
So when you uh, launched Be the Church, especially in your area of Grand Rapids in West Michigan, yes, um, was there ever a a struggle among your leadership team to say, you know, if we if we do this, we may be hindering our ministry, because even in Christendom, there's there's some competition. Territorialism. Yeah. yeah. There's territorialism. No way. I, I, I will fight against those feelings. I do have them at times. But the more we give other pastors a platform who are like-minded, like-hearted, they do need to be similar in doctrine, okay? Um, but the ones who are like-minded, like-hearted, the more we do that, the more I speak about other churches. Uh, the church down the street from us right now, they're four or 500, and they're less than a mile from us, and they want to be a part of Be the Church. Um, so we're trying to remove the territorialism. That's great. But one of our five values as a church is to enthusiastically engage in kingdom expansion. So our goal is to be the least known leaders in the most powerful movement since the Great Awakening. Mm. The least known leaders in the most powerful movement since the Great Awakening. We can't do that by ourselves. And so we don't care who gets the glory. We don't care who gets the attention as long as at the end of the day it goes to Jesus Christ. Right. And so that's all we care. Um, and so as a result, we constantly live in that. And we build up other churches in our area. I'm trying to find a building for a local church right now that's right down the street from us. And I'll probably try to help pay for part of it. I don't care. Grow the kingdom. And we need more churches to get rid of that territorialism. Absolutely. And I'm speaking to those who are listening to the podcast. I I encourage you to pray for Pastor Joel Wayne and the Be the Church movement. It's it's something that is necessary in our society Mm -hmm. um, because— Joel, you said it right. I mean, ultimately, it's all about giving God glory. Nothing. Yes. We don't. We don't matter. We're just. We're just pawns in His hand that that He's using. And boy, we need to unite as a as a body of believers to really um, transform what we're doing in the church for His glory, for His purpose. And I think we'll see a great awakening if we do that. When I see the most, the most of my pride that I often discover is in the church. Yeah. And it's because of jealousy and yeah. all insecurities that we have, right? We're all insecure, yeah. but I'm so frustrated by it. But I, if anybody's listening to this, let me just remind you of something. If you pass away right now, it's not going to take long before people struggle to remember your name. <laughs> it, right. it's, it's a reality of it. Uh, I pastor thousands of people, right? And if I pass away today in a couple of years, the majority of them go, what, what was his name again? And in five years, very few people will remember my name. So we're trying to push them toward our name, which they're not going to remember to begin with. But the name of Jesus, I can get behind that. So we need, to change our, we need to change our leadership posture in churches today. Great, great uh, admonition, great point. So let's transition to the Transform Tour that Cedarville yeah. University will start actually at your church in Grand Rapids. Um, I know you're a member of the Cedarville Board of Trustees. But, yes, why did, but why did you feel it was important to make Chapel Point Church available for this tour? I think actually you probably just answered it by what you just said about Be the Church, but I'll give you the word. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Thomas White, your president, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and as a trustee, my president, and being able to be a part of the leadership there, I have tremendous respect for him and what he's doing. In many ways, I compare what God is doing at Chapel Point with Cedarville. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as I've gotten older, 
And we have a residency system within Be The Church and Chapel Point as well. We have, I think, four or five residents right now. We have others coming from Cedarville to join residency. Um, and if people want to know more about that, I can always speak about our residency model as well, especially for MDiv students. But I have seen more and more of a need for greater education um, and, and a better way of teaching leadership in the midst of education. And I know Dr. White and Cedarville has the same desire to see that better. And there's a movement that's happening at Cedarville that I want others to taste, that I want others to recognize that we do have some great young people coming up to take yeah. the reins in the next yeah. generation. Yeah. And I think sometimes they get a bad rap and maybe rightfully so at times, yeah. but there are also some great young people who are being discipled, being mentored. Yeah. And we want to be a part of that because the bride of Christ, I love the bride of Christ. Yeah. And we, I want people to be exposed to it. It's that simple. So you mentioned you, you see um, great things at, at, at Cedarville. Um, does anything does is there a story that you know of that really gets you excited of what's going on here at Cedarville? Well, one, the majority of young people, and I, th- I think even believers today, they know what they stand against, not necessarily what they stand for. Cedarville, if you go to Cedarville, you know what you stand for. The Word of and God that, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Exactly. So when, when when you know what you stand for, you walk with a different posture. So I met some students from Cedarville University. And the way they stood in front of me and shook my hand and looked me in the eyes and very clearly articulated who they were in Christ, I knew there was a difference in them and all the other young people that I was meeting. And I said, I want to help make more of those. I want to help make more of those. And because that's what matters. And not just for the church, for businesses, right? Um, I'm involved with businesses on a weekly basis. I have some of my own, right? And I go, I, I I saw the difference and I said, we need more of that. And I believe if you have a call on your life, you have to help participate with that call, help it fulfill it. Yeah. Yeah. We're really excited that we're coming to the Grand Rapids area. How do you, how do you hope it impacts or how do you see it impacting Grand Rapids, uh, Chapel Point or your greater area? I, I hope that it serves as a light bulb for some people. A lot of the, a lot of the people within the church today, I think have turned off higher education. You know, higher education is a whole in our society in, in the Western, um, you know, in the United States, in the West. It is the most liberal progressive place that's out there. And so a lot of people in the church have just turned it off and they just hope that their kids go and they come out unscathed and then they can pick up their life as they know it. That is an immature, irresponsible way to think about higher education. So I want people to better come. And see the witness of Jesus Christ to young people and through staff that love the Lord and to have something trigger within their own thinking that allows them to re-engage in the conversation. To think that everybody's just going to jump on board and go, I want to be a part of higher ed. now. That's not going to happen. They need to have something trigger first. And so I'm praying that it's going to be, going to be a trigger for West Michigan, mm-hmm. specifically for a lot of the people in my own ministry and my own church but even other church churches that I'm inviting from the area that it triggers them and says, wait a second, this is being done with excellence and we can help contribute. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I encourage anyone listening to this podcast in West Michigan within driving distance to make um, the transform tour event a, a priority because you're going to benefit from going. Your life is going to change as a result if you attend. And so I just encourage yeah. anyone. May 11th. 
It's May eleventh at our church. It's a Wednesday evening. Yeah. What time? What time is it, Joel? It starts at seven, I believe. So okay. that's going to be a great evening. Go online. You can register for it. We'd love to have you. Yep. As we mentioned, or I mentioned in the program, uh, Cedarville is visiting thirteen cities, traveling ten thousand miles for one purpose, one purpose only, to share the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. From your perspective, as a trustee and as, as a pastor at one of the venues, how would you determine whether the tour is successful? You're a branding guy too, so you you have great insight into this. How, what will make it successful in your mind? If people are willing to actually put their name down for wanting to step forward, not only with Jesus Christ, but to get involved in a higher education movement in students. I want pastors to come and go, I need to pour in. I need to take my wisdom and pour it into students. Yeah. I want lay people to come and go, man, I myself need to step into a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right. So it's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the layperson. And I want young people to know that they can get a, an amazing education with a focus on Jesus Christ. Yeah. We can look at the world through a biblical lens. We yeah. can look at the world not only through a biblical lens, but through the eyes of Christ and then impact it. And if that's the result of it, then it's been, it's been a success. And that's what we need to do. I'm also praying, though, that it's going to create greater partnerships. We, we've got too many people trying to do things on an island. So think about it. It's going to 13 different venues, right? right? What if half of those venues begin to partner together for a missions, for, for a kingdom purpose? Oh, wow. What if churches, they come to hear about this transformed tour, they come together to our church. And so we partner with 10 other churches in our area. It will have radical impact for the kingdom. I get goosebumps thinking about that. That is so yeah. exciting. That is so yeah. good. Joe, my last question uh, is going to lead us into the final element, and that is, as people are listening, how would you encourage our listeners to pray for the Transform Tour? And then once you share what you think they should pray for, would you close the program in prayer? Yeah. Um, something that has always stood out to me about Cedarville University is something that we often use as language with Be the Church. Um, I believe that Be the Church as well as Cedarville University I believe it's called to be a catalytic spark of renewal and revival through the Holy Spirit, a catalytic spark. Mm. And if the transformed tour, if we could pray individually, but also for the school to experience that catalytic spark and to yeah. be a catalytic spark, right? If we can pray, man, I'm going to come to the tour and I'm praying that it just serves as a spark of Holy Spirit of Christ in my own life, mm. but that it gets to be that. Yeah. Then it's, listen, if you can control something, it's not a movement of God. All right. If you can control it, pastors, hear this. If there's a pastor listening, if you can control what's happening at your church right now, you're not walking in a movement of God. Okay. Yeah. So I look at that and go, I, I don't want to try to control it, but I want it to be a catalytic spark of movement um, that is greater than anything we've known before. And so let me pray for that now. God, I am praying. That for anybody listening, even right now, even if they can't come to a transformed tour, that they would just recognize what it is to have that catalytic spark of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, just speaking into their life, that you would give them the courage to do what you have called them to do when maybe they're experiencing fear. And if they are just weak and feeble and tired, that you would give them a strength and an energy that can only come from the, from the indwelling word of God that this tour would be a representative 
of passionate lovers of Jesus Christ who are simply responding to what it is to be a transformed follower, that this tour would be a representative of who you are, then it would serve as that catalytic spark, not only in a church, but in churches and in regions so that people would know you. And so, Lord, we pray for your will to be done. We're not asking to understand all of it, but we are asking for you to give us the strength to be faithful, to do anything you ask in response to your movement. Amen. Amen. Pastor Joel, my time is up. Um, I I just enjoyed our conversation. I loved hearing you speak. Um, I can see why um, so many churches have called you to be their pastor because you have a heart for Jesus that's infectious. And uh, I can tell you're leading well. So I encourage you to keep doing that. Um, and I hope to see you when you're when you're on campus next. Maybe uh, in a few weeks, I guess, trustee meetings are happening pretty soon, right? Yeah, just a couple of weeks, I'll be up there and hopefully we'll better see each other. Okay. Hey, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories Podcast. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's Cedarville Stories Podcast. Please join us on the road at the Transform Tour this summer. We are coming to Milwaukee, San Diego, Tampa, Lancaster, and many more. Check out cedarville.edu forward slash transform tour to learn more. See you soon.